Every heart free and clear. John chapter 16. Now let me just say this. Uh, God's been dealing with me today in regard to, we're talking about revival. Revival's been announced. We know it's coming now. But shame on me, because the Holy Spirit's been telling me that why is it that we constrain these things, these these vows we make, this obedience to God, because that's what a revival is. It's a it's an, a new found obedience to God. But shame on us that we have to lock it into a week. Yeah. That's really what we do, because we say, well, I can't commit to these things all year. But man, I'll give it everything I got for one week or or two weeks. And and you know, and the Holy Spirit's been saying, He knows the flesh. He knows that that's the way we are. But shame on me. These things that we're going to talk about tonight, like we talked about last week about birthing through prayer and having prayer that literally is painful, that can literally just comes from the gut, that, that drops us to our knees, that Hannah-type prayer that we saw in Samuel. And we're going to be talking tonight about sin because, I'll be honest, as revival gets closer, the Holy Spirit's going to be refining. It's going to be separating the wheat and the chaff. It's going to be uh, getting out uh, the impurities because... Uh, I think I've used this illustration before. When I worked in the machine shop, my father had a, a machine that uh, did heat exchanger tubes. And it would actually weld heat exchanger tubes together. And you would stick two heat exchanger tubes into this machine. And you would push down the guard. And it would fuse weld these two heat exchanger tubes together. Completely welding them together. Well, uh, Kenny Beasley, who was the shop foreman at the time, he was always a little bit high strung and running a thousand different places. Well, they would always get on him, so a gentleman had a little piece of cellophane from a cigarette, uh, the outside shell of a cigarette wrapper, and he just took a little corner, and he would put it in between the arc of that machine. So you couldn't see it. It was clear, and it was just tiny, but sure enough, when Kenny would put the two heat exchanger tubes, and he'd have to do 500 at a run, I mean, it would be a truckload of heat exchanger tubes, he'd close the guard, he'd hit the pedal, the spikes strike the arc, and nothing. And man, he checked every connection, he checked the cord, he checked to make sure they were touching, and sure enough, about an hour, he'd just be, he'd, he'd be pulling his hair out, and old buddy who put, pulled the prank on him said, it's just this little piece, and he pulled it out. Yeah. And that little piece was preventing that power from surging through. And I'm telling you, that's what the Holy Spirit's going to do as we get closer to revival. It's going to begin to draw out things of us that... It's like, like an artist with a, a piece of clay to refine the sculpture of what God's trying to do. So I don't want you to be upset with me tonight because God is dealing with me in this. But I'm telling you, if we're really going to see revival, and even before that, if we're going to see an Easter service, we've got to have power. Yeah. And we've got to get rid of ourselves to have power. And I believe to do that is we've got to get rid of some unneeded sin. You say, well, what sin is needed? None, but I'm just trying not to step on your toes all at one time. But John chapter 16, read with me. Uh, we're going to read the first few verses of the chapter. I want to focus more or less uh, on verse 8 and 9, but we want to read in context the whole thing. These things have I spoken unto you, that you should not be offended. So I want you to say, understand that real quick, that the Holy Spirit wants you to be rooted and grounded in love, rooted and grounded in Christ, that anything He would ask of you as we get closer to revival, but to be honest, that He would ask of you any day of the week, uh, to ask Him, don't be offended by it. He's got a plan, He's got a purpose, it may not always be fuzzy, it may always not be sunshine and rainbows, but I'm telling you, it's going to produce a powerful product in your spiritual life. 
They that, so it says, these things have I spoken unto you that you should not be offended. They shall put you out of the synagogues, yea, the time cometh. And whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God's service. But these things they will do unto you, because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things have I told you, that when the time shall come, ye may remember that I told you of them. And these things I said not unto you at the beginning, because I was with you. But now I go my way to him that sent me, and none of you asketh me, whither goest thou? But because I have said these things unto you, sorrow hath filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter, that's the Holy Spirit, the Comforter will not come unto you, but if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, look what the Holy Spirit's going to do. This is what the purpose of the Holy Spirit is. And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin. Can I tell you this right now? Just because you're a Christian does not mean that the Holy Spirit is not going to reprove you of sin. If there's sin in your life, he's going to draw it out. Bring it to the surface. We're going to talk about why. You say, well, I enjoy it. It feels good. If I'm not hurting anybody, what's it matter? But the fact of the matter is it's preventing power in your life through the Holy Spirit. But he says that I will, when he's come, he will approve the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they believe not on me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see no me no more. Of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. But look what it says in verse 12. And I think we're sometimes so elementary, we're still, we're still stuck here. We should be beyond it. This was the first time the apostles had heard this. Yet we've heard it a thousand times and we can't get over past 12. Verse 12. I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. If God would see the, if you would see the expectation and the power that you could have in your life through the Holy Spirit and some of the things that it would take for you to get rid of self, to get over yourself, to get rid of things that are not needed in your spiritual walk, I'm telling you, you would bow over. Not that you couldn't handle them. I believe that you could handle them. Because once again, we're just a vessel of the Holy Spirit. But you can't bear it. You can't handle it. Because we are so accustomed to sin. We are so accustomed to self. And I'm telling you right now, let me just say this. We have to address sin. We have to start getting rid of self. You see, sin is not a person. It's, it's not a person. It's, it's much like darkness. Darkness is not actually there. Darkness is simply the absence of light. There is no darkness. You can't bottle darkness. You know, darkness simply only shows up when there is an absence of light. And that's what sin is. It's not something you can box. It's not a person or an entity. It's the absence of Christ. It's the absence of Christ. Anything that is not in Christ is sin. And that's when it begins to bring things to the surface. That's why James... Blows the, the roof off of the idea of sin when he says in four, chapter 4 verse 17, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Man, that opens up the whole gambit. Because it's not about this or that or justifying sin versus someone else's sin. It's simply saying if you know to do good and doeth it not, that's sin. If you know it's drawing your power, drawing you away from Christ, Separating and breaking fellowship with him, grieving the Holy Spirit, which we'll talk about here in a little bit. I'm telling you, it's not good for our lives. 
I wrote this in my notes. To find something in anything other than Christ is sin. And revival renews our affections in Christ. That's what revival does. It's shame on it. We only do that once or twice a year. But that's what, that's what God wants to do. To, to bring us to the service. To the reality that everything we're looking for is in Jesus Christ. Every bit of satisfaction, every bit of faith, every bit of joy, every bit of peace we can find in Him. But yet we search everywhere else and thus we have sin. But I'm telling you right now, if we don't address sin, if we don't rid ourselves of sin, we will lose the potential power that we will find in revival to see the church revived, to see the lost loved ones saved. Because I'm telling you right now, uh, we're going to talk about that. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 59. We're going to be jumping around quite a bit. You can take notes and go later. Or if you can turn with me, want to. Isaiah 59 and 2 says this. But your iniquities have separated you between you and your God. And your sins have hid his face from you. And he will not hear. That's a, that's a hard verse to take. Now Jesus Christ paid that penalty. He, he did what it took to once again reconnect us, to reconcile us to God. And to finally be able to hear our prayers again. But now I want to turn to Ephesians chapter 4 because we see Paul going one step further. That there is still a grieving. That the separation may be reconciled, but there is a grieving that we see a separation of fellowship, a separation of a hindrance of power that we see through the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians chapter 4, starting at the 21st verse, verse 21. If so be that you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful Lust. Well, we'll see in James here in a little bit that, that that lust is the very thing that draws us away and actually entices us and conceives in sin. But it says of the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that, that and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. We don't preach on that anymore. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth to with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and sin not, but let, let the, not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but let rather let him labor, working with the hands of things which is good, and he that hath to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of the edifying, that it may administer grace unto the hearers. And look what it says in verse 30. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Don't grieve it. We are giving this thing for a purpose, for for power, and, and yet sometimes we try so often to try to tamper with it. Don't mess with it. We have it for power. You see, the Bible says so much about sinfulness and the fallen condition of man, but but in even sin itself, it, it seems like that word is almost archaic in culture today. I think it was a year or two ago, Applebee's on a Wednesday night actually had a banner. It was an acronym 
I think it meant like secretaries and interns and nurses or something. But it was an acronym and it literally said, Sin Wednesdays. Huge banner. And now they may have not have saw it. I'm not sure if Bill in the, in the, uh, in the, in the marketing committee that ran it by his boss, but there was a lack of communication or maybe there wasn't. I mean, a huge banner. It said, Sin Wednesdays. Sin Wednesdays. And, and I said, man, when I hear that word, man, it grieves my heart. But now the world doesn't even care. Sin is not sin anymore. Sin is just a good time. Sin is whatever you want. Sin is whatever you think of it. You know, but I want you to understand right now that sin is not a list of do's and don'ts. That's what the devil wants to tell you. People think it's just God holding me back from my true potential. God's just trying to hold me back from fulfilling my, my dreams, aspirations. God's just making me, just holding me back from having a good time. You know, I just want to have a good time. You know, I had a good time in the world, and I'm telling you, it was sinful. It was sinful. It, it disconnected me from God and, and His plan for my life. But sin is not a list of do's and don'ts. You have to understand that. The basis of why God hates sin is because of two reasons. Number one, He's holy. The God we serve is a holy God. I mean, when I talk about holy, I'm talking about absolutely perfect. Anything less than perfection is not God. God's never made a mistake. He can never make a mistake. He's not like man. He is absolutely holy. In fact, they surround him upon the throne saying, holy, holy, holy is the lamb. You know, and we see uh, in first Peter chapter one, verse 15, it says, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy. What? That's what he wants. That's the expectation. That's how much he loves us. That's what the Holy Spirit came to do. But he, as he which is called holy is holy, uh, hath called you holy, you holy is holy. <laughs> I'll say it a thousand times so you get it through your head. So be holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. Number two, because number one, he's holy. And number two, this is why God hates sin, because he's a jealous God. He is a jealous God. And anything that would take your affection... Off of his son, Jesus Christ. Because once again, he gave all power and all authority. He gave the keys to heaven and to hell to Jesus. He lifted up the name of Jesus above him. But once again, he gave it all to, to exalt the name of Jesus. And anything that would that man would uh, run their affections to outside of Jesus Christ, well, God's a jealous God. He doesn't want to see that. Exodus 34 and 14. Literally the commandment when it talks about idolatry. And it says, thou shalt not worship no other God. No other God for the Lord, whose name is jealous, is a jealous God. Not an unrighteous jealousness. Like, you know, you might have someone that you know that's jealous with their spouse or jealous with their companion. No, 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 it's not the same kind of jealousy. This is a, a righteous, this is a, a, a just jealousy that he has because he knows that there is nothing that the world can offer that can satisfy that which only he can supply. That's why he's jealous because he's seen the universe. He's seen all the counterfeit idols and that's what an idol is. We have to understand what is a God. Well, in the culture in which this was written, a God was anything or something that you would uh, depend on through worship or giving of alms that you would depend on for harvest, for guidance, for prosperity, for weather, for reproduction, for peace. 
That's what that's what a false god was, and, and it was very common in these times to to worship other idols, to go to. But this is a jealous god, and I'm telling you, we're still living in a culture today where we are running to everything else but Jesus Christ Amen. for prosperity, for peace, for joy, for reproduction, for harvest, for guidance. You know all those things, and that's why he's such a jealous god. Why does he say in Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 11? Only he, there's no one else. He says, for I know the thoughts. He said, I know. That's why I'm jealous. I know the plan I have for your life. I know everything you'll ever face. I know every sin you ever commit. I know the, the, the mansion I've prepared in glory for you. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. Then ye shall call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you, and ye shall seek me and find me, when ye shall search for me with, look, there it is, with all your heart. He's a jealous God. He said there's nothing else. That, that's why he hates sin. It's not about that you can't, or you can, or you shouldn't, or you should, or do's, or don'ts. That's not what sin is. Sin is a holy and a jealous God Telling you that anything that you put your affection to outside of my son Jesus Christ is not going to work. So anything that cannot be found in him, he hates. And that's what sin is, right? It's a substitute of the real thing. We see that in the garden. We're going to talk about that in here in just a second. We see that in the garden. A substitute of the real thing. Pleasing to the eyes, <laughs> desire to make one wise, but was not authentic. And that's what sin is. It's a substitute that is offered and supplied by the counterfeit, by the deceiver, by the enemy, which is Satan. And that's what James says. Every man is with, every man is tempted when he is drawn away. Drawn away. We have to be honest. That's what sin does. It doesn't. Sin doesn't draw us to the Lord. That wouldn't be sin. That, were, that is running to Him. That is in by faith trusting Him with those things. But sin draws us away of our own lust and enticed. And when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. And then He says in verse sixteen, we fail to read this one often. It says, "Do not err, my beloved brethren." Understand that sin is deceptive. It is absolutely deceptive. That's why we're going to read that here in a second. Um, let's turn actually to Genesis chapter 3. But you know the actual the word for sin is actually the word chitah. In the, in the Hebrew, what we see in Genesis, what we see, the actual first reference of sin is not actually in the garden. The first reference of sin is in chapter 4, verse 7, in the account of Cain and Abel. When once again, his offering was not accepted, and it said, sin lieth at the door. It says right there, if thou doest well, shall thou not be accepted? If the heart was right, if you, if you did it for the right intentions, if you gave to me everything with your heart, that was the thing. It wasn't about the, the, uh, it wasn't about the condition of the, it wasn't about the condition of the offering, it was about the condition of the heart. And God says to Cain, if thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, 
and thou shalt rule over him. But that word uh, sin in the Hebrew is the word shadah. And actually isn't a biblical term. It's a soldier term. It means to fail to miss a goal. It's, it's actually used in reference sometimes to an archer that would be shooting at a, a bullseye, but it missed the mark. That's what sin is. It's to have a, a goal set and to air back, but sin is to miss that mark. Can I tell you right now, the mark is Jesus Christ. There is no other mark. There is another goal, nothing else. Anything that is not Jesus Christ, you will miss the mark. You will fail the goal. It was not. And that's what sin is. It's anything that is that's failure to what God has. It is a standard of God. I'm so thankful for a standard of God. Uh, we, I went to a graduation last night and they were talking about surrounding yourself with people that will push you beyond yourself. They said, you show me the five people you hang out with, and I'll show you your future. That's what this gentleman said. He was a keynote speaker at the graduation. And he said, show me the five people that you hang around with, and I'll show you your future. And can I tell you this? If I could just hang around with Jesus a little bit more. If I could just surround myself with the Holy Spirit, man, it's going to push me out beyond myself. It's going to refine things out of my life. That It's going to make me uncomfortable. It's going to say, Brad, yes, good job. You achieved this step. We're not done yet. We're going to go a little further. And that's what the Holy Spirit wants to do. So Genesis chapter 3, the last verse of Genesis chapter 2, verse 25 says, and they were both naked, <laughs> the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. So we see this huge contrast. And can I just say, that's how quick sin happens. So quick. People say, oh my gosh, there's no way that I could fall into that. I'm telling you, before long, it'll take you farther than you ever wanted to go. That's why we need to stay close. We need to hang on to the hem of the garment of Jesus. We need to allow every day to put off the old conversation of the old man, as Paul said in Ephesians Put on the new man and once again hang tight and see where the Lord takes us. Because it doesn't take long. Verse 25, they were both naked, the man and the wife, and we're not ashamed. And we see in verse 1 of chapter 3, now the serpent was more, what's that word? Subtle. That is sin. I think I've used this illustration before too. They say the devil doesn't come with pitchforks and, red, and a red cape and red horns. He comes looking like everything you ever wanted. That's what the devil is. He comes disguised as a substitute, a subtle substitute of the authentic work of the Holy Spirit of what God wants. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the fruit, uh, every tree, eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God had said, Ye shall not eat, neither shall you touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. Many sound confident, didn't he? Yeah. He didn't say, I don't think you'll die. He said, You shall surely not die. And that's the devil. He's going to tell you that it's going to be alright. Don't worry. Just one taste, one touch, one look. I got you. It's not going to be bad. You shall surely not die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open. Man, he was right about that. Then your eyes shall be open and ye shall be as gods. Not as God. Lowercase in my Bible. <laughs> and ye shall be like 
gods. Well, let me tell you right now, there's only one true God. Everything else is marble and stone and dead. But there's only one true living God. And that's Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. It says, your eyes shall be open, it shall be as God's, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, it produced something, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be designed to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Let me just say this, when you say, people say it all the time. I don't care because I'm not hurting anyone else. I'm just hurting myself. Even when I was doing stupid things, I wasn't hurting my family. I disconnected from my family. I was in a completely different state. But I'm telling you, sin will hurt everyone around you. It may not be day one. It may not be day two. But sooner or later, sin is going to grow rampant. It is a cancer that we have to get rid of. And it will spread like wildfire. We're not careful. She took of it. She ate. She turned and corrupted those that were around her. And he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves apron, trying to fix a situation that they could not fix. And people were doing that today. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden of the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees in the garden. Just the chapter before, they walked together and they talked together and they communed together. You cannot argue with me theologically or doctrinally, but sin breaks a connection. It breaks a power that we have with the Holy Spirit. And I'm telling you, that is not what grace is for. Grace is not given. Yes, it is unmerited favor. Yes, it is forgiveness when we need it. But grace is the ability to say no. To say, no, this is going to hinder. This is going to remove me from the presence of God. Man, I had something good here. I'm not going to let anything jeopardize it. Grieve not the Holy Spirit in which you are sealed under the day of redemption. We need to realize it's not easy. Trust me, I'm in a good place spiritually. You think it's easy for me to say no to sin? No, it's the hardest thing ever. Am I perfect? Absolutely not. Do I fall down? Sure. And I hate it every time I do it. Because I know. Because I have a chastening that comes. Man, I'm preaching now. I have a chastening that comes from the Holy Spirit that only a father gives to its son and says you're not where you were before. Now I have forgiveness. And I have a cleansing. And I don't have to work my way back. I don't have to sew fig leaves back together to try to get back in the presence of God. I have a faithful and just advocate to the Father that when I do sin, He stands on my behalf and says, Hey, let's cover it with my blood. Let's give Him a fresh anointing of my spirit. Let's get Him back to where He was. But that's not the point. We shouldn't use grace for that. And He says this. The Lord called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou was naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree wherein I commanded that thou shouldst not eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest me uh, with me, she gave up me of the tree and I did eat. And the Lord said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me and I did eat. 
I'll tell you right now, when it comes to revival, it's going to have to stop looking to everyone else. We're going to have to start looking to self. I'm going to have to say, I don't care what Larry Cook does with his spiritual life. He's not holding me back from revival. I'm not going to say what Sonny Young or Mike Hoffman or Ron Lennon or Pastor Delbert. I've got to stop looking around and saying, God, here's what you told me. Forget about what you told everyone else. It's got to start here. And that's what happens. We start to justify sin. We start to make excuses. We start to point fingers. And the fact of the matter is, the minute I had the Holy Spirit, I had everything that I need to say no to sin. Everything I need to say no to sin. And we can go on. I want to read a couple more verses. But we can go on. But you can see what happens. The anemone that's put in that moment, that's what sin does. It separates it. It creates sweat on the brow. You're working for things that used to be produced on its own. Generally, you're, you're working hard. It just produces nothing good. We see that in verses 14 and on. So we talk about the chita in the Old Testament. So real quick, I want to turn two verses. Romans 6 and verse 6. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul actually uses the word hamartia. Hamartia is the word that he uses for sin. And it's this force, this drawing power to get us to separate ourselves from what God has called us to do. Romans chapter 6 verse 6 says this, Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth, look, right here, that's what my Bible says, we should not serve sin. That is what we have through the Holy Spirit. The ability to not have to serve sin. And yet, so often, we are serving it voluntarily. <laughs> George South talked to me the other day with this old Nike thing. The whole Nike shoe with the devil's shoe. He said, the devil's fat and lazy now. He said, he ain't even trying anymore. He said, he's sitting down there with Cheeto crumbs on his leg. He ain't even, the church ain't even fighting. The world ain't even fighting. He's putting it right out there and they're gobbling it up. Hook, line, and sinker. We used to have to fight for it a little bit. Man. But that we head forward, we should not search him. And then the same word we see uh, in Romans chapter 7. Actually, it says... For that which, that word, that, that hamartia, in Romans 7, verse 15 and 16. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that I do I not. But what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that is good. That it is good. That's what sin does. It draws. It draws our attention. Man, sin today draws a crowd. Sin today can draw money. I mean, man, it's revenue. You see that? And it draws us. It does. So what is the answer? What What is the answer? I'm telling you, it is a renewed affection. God has been just over, over my, in my heart and my spirit all week. That's what revival is. Because once again, sin is not a can and can't. It's not a list of stuff. We can see Paul counts it black and white, the, the manifestations of the flesh. But those are all symptoms of sin. But sin is simply anything that draws our affection away from Jesus Christ. So what revival comes to do is to renew our affections to Jesus Christ. Everything. Our relationships, renew them back to Jesus Christ. 
our addictions, our personality, our goals. We renew those. Everything that we're looking for, that's what revival should bring, is a renewed uh, obedience, a renewed affection to say, Jesus Christ is everything I need. He's everything I need. It's the only answer to how we can combat sin. We see right here that it says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 55 and verse 57. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin. That's what it is. The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. Once again, the law was the perfect expectation of God. A holy and jealous God, this is what I want. And it is unattainable outside of the Holy Spirit. You are failing miserably without Jesus Christ in your life. But it says in verse 57, But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what we have. Sin no longer has that sting of death. There's no more strength in it. We have victory now because of Jesus Christ. Why? Because it says right here, and we're going to preach on it Sunday, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, For he that hath made him, for he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Amen. Amen. He did that for you and I. Yeah. He did that. He became sin. And he knew no sin. He became sin who knew no sin. That we might be the made righteousness of God in him. Alright. I want to go to prayer. Sonny, would you be alright just to come play something? Ronnie, don't give us invitation. Rob, don't give us invitation right now. I want to just have Sonny play something. I want to invite people to come to the altar. We're praying for revival. We're praying for Easter Sunday. Here's what we got to ask ourselves. Is there anything that is drawing our affections away from Jesus Christ? I believe in the next week, but once again, Max Strauss said it Sunday morning, we may not be here May 10th. We may not even be here Sunday for Easter Sunday. The Lord might just come home. So if we're looking for revival, it's got to start tonight. And I'm telling you, whenever revival comes, whenever an encounter of Jesus Christ comes, He is going to ask of you to remove anything that is preventing power in the relationship that you have. I can't tell you what it is for you. I know what it is for me. I know what God's going to deal with me. And He's already dealing with me. And I believe the Holy Spirit, by expectation, He will. He'll deal with you. Now, whether you're going to be hard-headed and stiff-necked and allow it to work, but he's going to ask you to remove some things from your life. Remove some things from your life. You say, for just a week? I don't know. <laughs> you can do it. But I'm telling you, if you remove them for a week and you see what God can do for you in that week, I'm telling you, you won't want them back. You won't want them back. They'll start dropping off like bad habits. Start dropping off. But I want to have Sonny play something right now. I want to invite you. You can wear your mask, but I want to come up to this altar. I just want you to ask God. Forget about knowing what you want to get rid of. I want you to ask the Holy Spirit, God, is there anything? Is there a piece of cellophane that's stuck between my heat exchanger tubes that's preventing power from seeing you work in my life? Now, once again, I want this church full. I want to see people saved. I want to see people step out in faith. I want people to be encouraged. I want to see people rededicated. But if that doesn't happen, I don't care. All I want you to do is to say, God, what's with me? That's all sin is. Is anything that draws us away. Our affections from Jesus Christ.
If you're putting your trust in anything else, then you need to come pray. If you're looking, your focus is on anything else, then you need to come pray. That's what it is. It's a renewed obedience, a renewed affection that Jesus Christ, He says that He will supply all our need according to His riches in glory. That's what the Holy Spirit comes to do, to supply everything we need. We don't have to look anywhere else. He's holy. He's perfect. What are you going to find that the world would offer anyways? It's not found in anything else. But I'm telling you right now, He's a holy and He's a jealous God. He sees that your eyes are on other things. Once again, you you can admit it or not, but that's what they are. They're just idols. They're false gods. They're things you put before them. And he says, I don't want you to do that. I want you to look to me because I know the thoughts that I think towards you. I know the plan I have for your life. I know what I see down in your future. And I'm telling you, there's nothing that this world can offer that can be a substitute for the Holy Spirit. Nothing. I want to read that verse again as you come. This is what he says. He says, I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. Why can't we bear them? Because we can't handle it. We can't handle saying, i got to get rid of myself. i got to get rid of me. All the focus is on me when all the focus should be on Jesus Christ. He's the one that did the work. He's the one that deserves the glory. And that's what revivals come to bring. And you don't have to wait till May 10th to find that. We can say tonight, God, I'm renewing my affection in you. My eyes have been taken off of you. I've been looking to the world for things that I need, for things that I want, for my relationships, for my affections. I've been running to a bottle. I've been running to a woman. I've been running to a man. I've been focused on my career. But I realize that there is nothing that they can offer that can supply the genuine authentic power of satisfaction that we find in your son Jesus Christ. That's what revival is. Heavenly Father, we thank you for an altar that's full tonight. Father, I don't want to rate for revival. I know we got it on the, the marquee. I, I know it's in the program. But Father, uh, I wanted to start tonight. I believe you can bust the windows down. I believe you can I believe we can see a Pentecostal type of a Pentecost type of fire that would come that would motivate your church to renew their eyes upon the one that died for them. Father, that's what Easter's about. Why are we looking for the living among the dead? Father, we need to be out putting our eyes upon you. Father, we're so ashamed. I am ashamed personally that there are many things that you want to show me. Many things you want to tell me. Many, many places you want to lead me spiritually, and yet I cannot bear them now. Father, that's just because of self. That's just because of pride. That's just because my affections are on everything else but Jesus Christ. Father, tonight I'm asking you right now, forget about anyone else. I'm not making excuses. I'm not pointing fingers. I'm not justifying my my life. I'm simply asking you what it is that you would have me get rid of that would allow me to see a deeper part of your character. What is it that I could get rid of that could allow me to see a deeper part of your saving power? 
Father, we talk about all these church services when we were children and, and uh, the memories of them. But Father, uh, forget about all that. I want to experience it. And if I'm being a hindrance to that, Father, then I pray right now that you'll get me out of the way. That, Father, you'll remove me from the from the formula that we can see uh, a great revival here at the church. Father, we ask you, we thank you for the ones that came tonight that are simply asking a question. David asked in the Psalms, he said, Father, search my heart. Try my brains, and if there be any wicked way in me, Father, examine us. Father, that's what communion does. To judge ourselves, lest we be judged. Father, we ask you tonight to renew our eyes upon you. You are, you are a gracious God, and Father, you are so loving and so forgiving. And, and Father, you wipe the clean, the slate clean. Father, our eyes could have been everywhere else but you for our entire lives. And Father, in one simple, sincere prayer, you could start us over again. Dust us off. Put on a new robe, a new ring. Allow us back into your presence. Father, we're so we're so sick and tired of hiding in the trees. Because I know what it's felt like to be in your presence. And I so I know that the devil wants anything that he can do to get us out of your presence. Because your presence is undeniable. There's no substitute for your presence. When we are in your presence, there is nothing that the enemy can offer us that will satisfy the real thing. And Father, that's what we're looking for, nothing else but an atmosphere of your presence. Start tonight with me. I honestly mean that, Lord. Start tonight with me. Thank you for the ones at the altar. Refine our, refine our soul tonight. Get rid of any unnecessary waste. Father, I know it might hurt. And just as a tree that is pruned, it might hurt. But Father, I know that out of it will produce that which is so much more than that old dead limb had to begin with. Father, we love you. We thank you. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for the comforter. Thank you for the new man that we can put on each and every day. Get rid of that old conversation of old self. Thankful tonight that we do not have to serve sin. Father, sin serves you. <laughs> it bows under your authority. And Father, with your Holy Spirit living within us, it bows under our authority through you. And we thank you for that. We love you. We praise you. Do a work, Father. Once again, if we don't make it till May 10th, I'm okay as long as we see revival starting Every time we enter this this place, Father, every time we we walk out into the world and witness to someone, Father, we want to see revival there. We love you. We thank you. Give you glory and credit for it all. Without you, we can do nothing. But through you, we can do all things. In your son, in your son's name, we pray. Amen. 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 Let us all stand. Listen, seriously, folks. We have got to get serious. And it's such a shame, but that's really what tradition has done. We said, well, we'll get serious for a week, and man, it'll be good. And I'll be honest, I'll, I'll be satisfied right now with a week. I will. Shame on me for being satisfied, Amen. Chad, with a week. Amen. We need it every single day. we got to get rid of self. we got to get our eyes back on Jesus Christ. Yep. If it's anywhere Amen. else. Amen.